Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalms, chapter 139, verses 1 through 6. Psalms, chapter 139, verses 1 through 6. It's page 554 in your pew Bibles. Page 554. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us to have visitors, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We want to remind each of you again that there will be a church that will be meeting in the wedding chapel all summer long, and so be sure and do not park in the parking that is there to the wedding it's uh, attached there to the wedding chapel in, over the next few weeks because that is their place. Of course, on the other side of the wedding chapel, all of the parking, all the way up to the traffic light is ours, and feel free to park in any of those that you would like. We've had a wonderful weekend thus far, a tremendous work day yesterday, looking forward to many other good things throughout today. One of those things, if you have said that you want to work with ushers, greeters, or with those working in the Welcome Center, or several of you have received letters in the mail asking if you would help begin a new program of Seekers. Just a reminder that that group will meet at 4 o'clock today here in the auditorium. And so if you can, be here at 4 o'clock for that time of communication, instruction, and training. God blesses us in many ways. Let's find our place and do our best to glorify God in that place. This year, as we think about the graduating class of 2008, we think about especially the class of high school seniors as it relates to Beloit's college mindset list. Each year, they put out a mindset list so the rest of us can understand their world views. You see, it's real easy for us to think that everybody has had the same experiences that we have had. But let me give you an example. And they, they place about 70 things on the list. We won't cover nearly that many. But for example... If it were not for the study of history, they would ask the question, what do you mean the Berlin Wall? Or Humvees, haven't they always been available to the public? Or what do you mean roll down a car window? Or the Keating Five, is that a rock group or something? Or an electric car, that's not new. General Motors has been working on that since I was born. Pete Rose, never saw him play ball. Rap music, it's always been mainstream. Russia has always had multiple party political systems. Women have always been police chiefs in major cities. Walmart has always been a larger retailer than Sears. Being lame has nothing to do with a physical disability. Except for last year, 
Al Gore has always been a possible candidate for president. When all else fails, Prozac has always been there. Stadiums, rock tours, and sporting events have always had corporate names. Fox has always been a major network. Virtual reality has always been available instead of the real thing. Time has always worked with Warner. The space program has never really caught their attention except in disasters. Jerry Springer has always been lowering the level of discourse on TV. They're always texting. They will encounter roughly equal number of female and male professors in their classroom. They never saw Johnny Carson live on television. The World Wide Web has been an online tool since they were born. And food packaging has always included the nutritional labelings on the back. That's their world. We live in a world of constant transitions. And so it is as we think about our young people making that transition from high school to college and others from college to going into the workplace, others from going to high school into perhaps the service or into the workplace. It reminds us of the fact that the reality is all of life is a transition. Isn't it interesting that when you're going through something, it seems like you're the only one transitioning? Do you remember when you were going through the transition of high school to college? It seemed like that no one else was going through such things. But then maybe if you're old enough to go through some of these, when you went from college to going and searching for a real job, it seemed like no one was going through anything like that. And then when you got married, wow, now that was a real transition. No one's going through that. The first child, no, now this is a transition Well, what about the people having the second child or the third child? What about the people moving from one part of the country to another part of the country? What about dealing with empty nests? What about retirement? Friends, the point is this. As long as we are alive and we are productive in our life, we're active in our life, we're interacting with others, and we're strong in our relationship with God and the work of the church, we will always be on a course of transition. The word transition literally means passage to pass through. Isn't it interesting to think that oftentimes we consider that to be a very dangerous time, at least it can be, or at least a very critical time, a time that we ought to open our eyes a little wider, we ought to think a little clearer, we ought to make good plans because we don't want to mess up anything in the transportation of it. You know, we could have a chemical or a gas that that could be dangerous, And you know, as long as it's fixed at its location in a place of industry, we're usually not nearly as concerned about it until we say, how are we going to transport this across the nation? How are we going to move this? You know, my mother decorated wedding cakes all the time that I was growing up. Uh, Some of my first memories, there were huge cakes scattered throughout our kitchen and dining room. You better believe that when those cakes were being made, The house had to be a safe place. There was no ball in that part of the house. Uh, There was no running through that part of the house. But you know, still the stress of being around the wedding cakes in the home was not to be compared to when we started loading those cakes. Everybody would get a door and a door would be held. And then here the cake would pass all the way through all the doors to the open car door. And then to keep the dogs and cats out, someone was manning the vehicle door also. Close it, wait till the next cake came. Open it back up, close it. Open it back up, close it. As you drive down the road, every bridge, you had to be careful. 
You didn't need that bounce for the icing to come off. The point is this. Transitions, transportation, they're wonderful opportunities. The opportunities move from A to B. And if we ever in our life stop transporting, we ever stop going through transitions, the truth is we've stopped living. But we must be aware of the fact that we must be careful. How awesome Psalm 139 is. A passage that helps us realize that God is always with us and He is the one that is fixed in this time of transition. We need someone that is fixed in our life. We need a power that we can always relate to and we can always rely upon. And that's what God is. And the psalmist makes that so clear as he gives these words of praise. If you have your Bible open, I hope you do. It is page 554 on the Bible in your pew there. I'd like for you to notice a few things with me as we look back again to verse 1 and 2. Notice what he says here as he talks about how God knows us. He says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. Isn't that interesting? And that's a very strong word there in the Hebrew for search. It's not just kind of look over. He's saying that God knows us inside and out. The psalmist says, I know you know me. I know that you've looked through every part of my being. And then as he writes on, he says, you know my setting down and my rising up. Lord knows what time you did what yesterday. He knows what time you got up this morning. There is no one on earth that knows you the way God does. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the number of hair on your head. And so it is when we think about what God offers to us in searching us and knowing us, we begin to appreciate the fact in the next few verses even better. It's not that He just knows us and then gives a negative eye to us, but He knows us and understands us. Look, if you will, as we look at the rest of verse 2 going in 3 and 4, where He says... You understand my thoughts, you comprehend my path, my lying down, you're acquainted with my ways, for there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, you know it all together. Think about that. God, what do you know about me? And he says, I know what your last thought was. God, what do you know about me? And he says, I know the path that I want you to travel. God, what do you know about me? He says, I know the way you are on that path. Are you quiet? Are you energetic? Are you creative? Are you analytical? Are you real social or are you kind of reserved? What gifts and abilities do you have? Isn't it a wonderful thought that God says, oh, I know your thoughts and I know the very way that you ought to walk. And he says, by the way, and while you're on that way, I know everything about you, the way you are on that way. Friends, to think that we have a God who knows us that well and understands us that well and then says, I want to bless you. Notice that hedge that's referred to in verse 5. You have hedged me behind and before me. And as a matter of fact, in 6, the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. So whatever this description is, the psalmist says, this is something awesome. This is something wonderful. Well, what is it? God, you know me. You understand me. You bless me as I'm on this way. That hedge, we have one that protects us that goes out in front of us, but we also need someone to, to guard our blind side. He says, I'll travel along behind you also. 
God says, I'll just walk as a protector around you. Have you thought about who would you say is someone that you're very close with, that you have a deep relationship with them? Maybe there's someone that comes to your mind that that would fit that bill. I, I have a very deep relationship with this person. Now, probably there's some things that that person knows about you that that a lot of people don't know. Maybe hardly any know. Now, not only that, but what usually characterizes someone that we say, I have a deep relationship with them, not only do they know it, but we generally believe that they still appreciate us, love us, and they will use that information only to our good. In other words, if you know some things about me, and you would use those against me, I wouldn't say we have a close relationship. But when someone knows us and loves us and would use that information to help us, then we say that's a deep relationship. Friends, that's the beauty of what we've just studied. The psalmist wants us to see a God who knows everything, not just everything about the universe. He knows everything about you, and He loves you. He wants that deep relationship with you. So as we think about making transitions in life and we think about our high school seniors moving on to the workplace or the military or the college, we think about that movement. How are they going to move? We must move realizing that there is a God who loves you deeply and wants to remain a vital part of your life. When I think about what we've just read about knowing where we are and the movement and etc. I'd like for you to back up a few pages in your Bible to Psalm the first chapter. And I'd like for you to notice that here, he gives some keen insight to how we can move. And he even points some ways that we can move in the wrong direction to teach us how we can also move in the right direction. Many people love Psalm 1. It's one of their favorite passages in the Scriptures. Beautiful way to start the book of Psalm. Blessed is the man. It sounds like a beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed is the man. Notice how this movement could have taken place among the ungodly. Who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sets down in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Did you notice there the walk, the standing, and the sitting? How do we make transitions in life? If we're not careful, if we're not aware of the fact that we need to make these transitions in wisdom, relying upon God, if we're not aware of that, we can start walking with the ungodly. Walking by something? And then what happens? We can start standing with the sinners. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Now, I'm, I'm not involved in it. I was just kind of hanging around there. I, how comfortable are we just standing? We used to not stand. We used to just walk by. But now we stop. We're standing. And who are the scornful? They're the ones that have mocked the way of God. And what has He done? Those that are not wise, those that are ungodly will set down and they will make their place with those who scorn or mock God. And he says, blessed is the person that doesn't do that. Instead, he meditates upon the law of the Lord. And in that law, he finds his rejoicing day and night. 
Now please note this. The godly meditate so they can know God, understanding that God knows them. Isn't that beautiful? And then he compares it like a tree. A tree that it can run its roots in the water and it's going to be so strong. But then in the following verses, see how in verse 4, the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Friends, which way are we going to be? Are we going to be safe in the transitions of life? Are we going to be blown everywhere just like little particles of chaff being blown about? A breeze doesn't even affect a tree except maybe a few flickering of the, the leaves. But it destroys the chaff. Why? The root system is different. Why? Because they've traveled a different course. But please note the end of this in verse 6. Still in Psalm 1. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now what was it that in Psalm 139 he said the Lord knew? He says the Lord knows my way. He comprehends my path. And what does he say here? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Wait a minute, I thought God was all-knowing. So if he was all-knowing, he'd also know the way of the wicked too, right? Yes, but that's not the way this is used here. When he says uh, he knows the way of the righteous, he's saying he knows the way as in you and I can trust it. What about if you and I are are riding with a friend and and we're just out for a, a Sunday afternoon ride and... Of course, you'd have to have a lot of money nowadays to do that with the price of gas. But if you were out for a Sunday afternoon ride and, and you, you know, you heard about some place you were going to buy dessert or, or an ice cream soda fountain or something, and, and you say, okay, that's where I'm headed. And they say, oh, I know a shortcut. Take a ride up here. You know, and 30, 45 minutes later, you're still lost. So then you get back on track. You say, oh, now, now I know where I am. Hey, take a left. I know another shortcut. And you do. 30 or 45 minutes, you're lost again. Now, I know this sounds silly, but think about it. If you got on course again, and the third time they said to you, oh, now I really know where I am, you can turn right, and and that's a better way to arrive. Would you trust them? Or would you say, you don't know what you're talking about? What's the Lord saying? The Lord says, I know the way of the righteous. We're making transitions in life. We can't predict the future. We can't tell what everything's going to be. How do we know the right course? The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now the question is, are we going to trust Him? You know, Babe Ruth, back in 1926, the story is told about a little boy that was severely injured in a horse accident. And they, his, his father sent a telegram to Babe Ruth saying, the doctor has told my son that he may not live long, but he said one thing he wants to see or hear is that you hit one home run in Wednesday's game. Babe Ruth sent back uh, a telegram to him saying, I will hit him a home run. And in Wednesday's game against the St. Louis Cardinals, he hit three home runs. They mailed him a ball with the signatures of the players. Later, his uncle, the young man's uncle, ran into Babe Ruth at spring training. He told him as he introduced himself how much that meant to his son, his, his nephew, who now was doing well. When the uncle 
visited with him, expressed his appreciation, and walked away. The reporter said, with profanity interlaced, he said, who was that man and what kid was he talking about? People will forget you. Your high school friends that you think you're so close with and, oh, we could never be parted. Give it a few years. People will forget you. That teacher in high school that that really motivated you and you you were encouraged so much by that teacher. Go back to a 20-year reunion and watch them say, I think I remember you. Isn't it awesome to have an almighty God that knows you inside and out? He can direct your ways. He can protect you. And He will never, ever forget you. The transitions are not always easy. But a huge risk and relief. Risk can be removed and relief can be offered if we decide to go with God. I'd like for you to notice as we go back to our text, and and this time a little bit deeper than our text, will you look along with me as we think about going to God? We have another paragraph that talks about the presence of God everywhere. 7, 8, and 9 talks about no matter how high or how low you go or living or dead, God's going to be there and awesome Uh, verses of poetry. But look at verse 10. Uh, Notice how he says, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Now as we think about this, going with God, we see the presence of God in the verses that we scanned over. Here we see the providing of God. In the next few verses it talks about the light or the darkness and it doesn't matter. God is there at all times. In other words, the idea is I can see in the daylight but I can't see in the dark and I need some help and God will even direct us in the times of darkness. But I'd like for you to key in for the little bit of time that we have remaining here. I'd like for us to to bullet some things out of the next few verses. And one is here in verse 10. Notice the imagery that's used here as he says that the Lord's hand will lead you and his right hand will hold you. I want you to imagine that we're on this way. We're in this transition of life and the Lord with one hand is leading us, but yet with the other hand, he is holding us. Isn't that a beautiful transition to think that God is with us and that he is present at all times? We've already seen from the previous paragraph, he knows everything about us, but he's with us every step of the way. We make a terrible mistake when we do not go with God. I want to challenge our young people to make sure that in everything in your life you go with God. Have that personal relationship that's committed to God. Know what is God's church and go with God. Know the difference in a denomination and God's church. And if you don't know the difference in that, please get with us before you leave this place. If you've been around here long, surely you've seen the difference. Go with God. When you think about your moral convictions, do not forget God's way. 
Know what is right in your relationships with others. Know what is right in your physical relationship with others. Know what is right when it comes to substances. Go with God. Allow God's hand to be around you to protect you. Allow God's hand to lead you on the way. We create disaster in our life whenever we fail to be led by God's hand and we fail to be protected by God's hand. Notice, if you will, though, the next paragraph. And I'd like for you to see that in this transition of life, one of the things the psalmist wants us to see and to always know is our beginning and our end. Look, if you will, back in 13. We're still here in Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now skip down to verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were, uh, uh, in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. What's God want us to know as we go with God? He wants us to remember our beginning. How did we begin? God formed us. God formed us in in our mother's womb. It was God that gave us life. It was God who designed us. He is our creator. He is the one that sustains us day in and day out. And when we forget that, we forget everything that's important because everything goes back to our creator, our almighty God. But then we also need to live with the end in view. We're going to stand before an almighty God on the day of judgment. And someone says, do we have to really bring that up today? Yes. Anytime we're going to talk about things that pertain to our life and and ultimate decisions in our life, if you'll notice, the scripture points us to that end. How terrible it would be if we lived this life without preparing for the end. Do you remember Ecclesiastes? The great book that challenges our study, that where he challenges all the things about this life and he tries to find purpose in life. And in the last chapter, he says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. And then he closes out the book by saying, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. And then the next verse, he mentions judgment day. And that everything that we do, including the secret things, will be brought before us in judgment. What is Solomon trying to do there. He's saying, as you transition through life, remember God. Remember your Creator. He made you, but remember also that you'll stand before Him. Why? You're going to do a better job with life. We live a life that's not worth living when we forget our beginning and our end. And this brings us toward the end of this sermon. Look, if you will, about his plea to remain focused. God is focusing on us. Let's focus on God. Look at 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Notice he ends this psalm where he began. Search me. What does he want to be searched? Why does he want God to search him? He wants God to search, even it's implied here in 24, to see if there's any wicked way. He's implying here, there may be sin I'm not aware of. God, if there are things in my life that I'm not aware of, find that and let me be aware of it so I can turn away from it. Why? Here's the focus. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. A senior graduates from high school this year. The greatest focus, college, work, military, 
No. That may be a goal, and though those are, are opportunities that lie before them. But the great focus is, lead me on the eternal way. We're not just talking about endless possibilities. We, we're talking about eternal possibilities. Lead me on that way. Friends, if we transition, leaving the way that leads to eternal life, we're transitioning to the wrong way. Many years ago, I shared this story with you. Jerry and Fern Hill, many of you know them and are familiar with them. I've asked her permission to share this story on occasions. They had a son to die in a hit and run accident at the age of 13 while he was riding his bicycle to school after delivering on a paper route. His goal and dream was to do something for homeless and neglected boys. As a result of his death, they focused much of their energy into developing what is now Timothy Hill Children's Ranch for homeless and neglected teenage boys in the Long Island area. They had several other sons that were their sons in addition to all that were at the ranch. One of their sons chose a very hard way during high school and after high school. Two younger boys in junior high and high school were eating breakfast one morning. The phone rung and Fern was talking on the phone and she began to cry. And she began to ask questions and cry more. She hung up the phone. And the sons immediately were inquisitive. And her answer was blunt. Your brother is dead. They begin to cry. And they begin to ask what's happened. And then as she began answering their questions, they realized their mother was talking about the situation that he was in. And how he was so dead spiritually. And the sons began to be angry at her. Mama, don't ever do that. We thought you meant he was dead. She said, he is. Then from a mother who knew both, listen to these words. She would say, I'd rather my son die physically than to die spiritually. That's from a mother who knew both. I tell you today, we have a lot of transitions to go through in life. But it's been my prayer for many years. I don't want any member of my family to outlive their faith. I know it's not light words and I don't say them lightly. But I would rather my children die physically than for them to die spiritually. It ought to be the goal of every one of us here to say, Lord, I'm going to go through this life. But as long as I transition through this life, I want to go with you, God. I don't want to take a step away from you. As Moses says, Lord, we won't go without you. I'll stay here forever. There are a lot of unknowns in the future. But it ought to be the dedication of every one of us that one of the things that will be known is that every step we take will be a step that we take 
in the loving presence of God in his arms being led by him, remembering our beginning and remembering our end, focused on eternal life. This morning, are you there? Have you begun that journey? Have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins because you love God with all of your heart and you're willing to turn away from sin and confess him before men? You want to be his and you want to belong to him. If you're not there, please get there this morning. Or if we can help you in further study, let us know. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and maybe you've lost the way since that time and you want to come back. You want to repent of sins. You want to confess sins. Whatever we can do to help you this morning, let's make sure all of us can declare every word of Psalms 139 that we are comfortable with God searching every aspect of our life because we're willing to turn everything over to Him. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.